The following message entitled True Worshippers Wanted was given by Joe Ryer on the 8th of May, 2016. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. If you have a Bible, open to John chapter 4. And we have been going through a series on 1 Corinthians for a number of weeks now. We're going to take a break from that. Mark did such a good job last week that uh, he covered the stuff that I was going to talk about as well. And Bob had begun to work on the next section um, already. So it gave an opportunity to um, do another message. And Mark and Bob and I talked, and, and as I was thinking about it and prayed, um, an immediate subject came to mind, one that I had been really thinking about and praying about for myself personally really since last fall. And, uh, and a passage came to mind immediately as well. And so I'm hoping that you will be encouraged by really an area that the Lord has really stirred me in over the past um, however long it's been since the fall. So this is from John chapter 4. And the title of this message is True Worshippers Wanted. And we're going to tackle the idea of satisfaction in the Lord and the idea of worship. So before I look at the passage, what does it mean to worship someone or something? What does it mean to worship? It means we give that object our affection, our devotion, our allegiance, our time, our money, our gifts, our abilities, something we are completely devoted to. This might surprise you, but every human being is a worshiper. We are born worshipers. The problem for all of us by nature is that we don't worship the God who made us naturally. And so by nature, we are worshipers and we're, we, we worship someone or something instead of the God who made us. And sometimes it can be obvious, and sometimes it's more subtle. Let me give you a couple examples of what I have in mind. Think of a straight-A student. That's a good thing. But a straight-A student who worships, let's say, the God of perfectionism, of having a perfect standard for themselves and wanting others to... um, basically worship them because of their ability. They, they can have a false God that looks like a very good thing. Think of a successful businessman. That's, that can be a wonderful thing. But they could be a worshiper of money, and that motivates and drives them to a point where that is their God, and, and others are casualties along the way. Think of a man or a woman who craves a life of ease. We'll we'll pick on the men since it's Mother's Day. There's nothing wrong with going hunting or fishing or having hobbies of, of many sorts. But someone who lives for them, who is devoted to those things, who looks to those things for their primary satisfaction, is a worshiper of a life of ease and pleasure. Think of the codependent relationship where two human beings are looking to one another to fulfill something that no human being could possibly fulfill. That's a worship problem. 
Think of the man or woman enslaved to alcohol or other drugs. There can be many reasons for that, but I think deep down at base level, it's a worship issue. And so the idea of worship is really important. And what we're going to see in this passage this morning is Jesus is calling for true worshipers. He makes us into genuine, true worshipers. But this isn't a message just for those of you who don't yet know Jesus. For those of us who do know Jesus, we, we can say that we worship Jesus. And we really believe in Him. We really have trust in Him. We really are saved. But in our functional day-in and day-out lives, at times, as Christians, we can functionally worship other things. We can functionally be devoted to other things. We can functionally give our time and energy and thought to other things looking for satisfaction and peace and joy that only the Lord can give. In the book of Jeremiah, the prophet says it this way. He says, this is to Jewish people, believers in the Old Testament. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, what Jeremiah is saying is, is my people went from enjoying the living water that God provides, the satisfying life that God provides, and, and started to look elsewhere. And the idea of broken cisterns, they had these containers that they were trying to hold this water that was not satisfying, was not so satisfying, and they walked away from the Lord. And I'm not saying that's all of us, but in a room this size, there's certainly some of us that can wander off and have functional gods that will never satisfy. And so the main aim of this message from the story we're going to look at is that you would be more joyful. You would be more satisfied. You would, you would find your primary delight in the Lord. So look in the passage John chapter 4, we're going to encounter a woman. We don't even know her name. Verse 5. So he, Jesus, came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son's son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus was wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So like many of these narratives in the Gospels, I want you to imagine it. So we need to learn some details. So what we know so far is Jesus and his disciples have been on a long journey. They're on foot. They're walking. They're tired. They're thirsty. And they're weary. And they decide to go through a town called Samaria. Now for us, Samaria might not mean much to us, but if we were Jewish, we don't like Samaritans. We don't like people from Samaria. We actually despise it so much that if we were going to walk on a long journey, we're going to go around Samaria. We're going to bypass it altogether. Jews, and I don't think this is too strong of a word, hated 
Samaritans. And so it's very significant that Jesus and his disciples are going right through the town of Samaria. And this tension between Jews and Samaritans went back centuries. It went back to the point where Israel was divided into two kingdoms. And one of the kingdoms was infiltrated by Gentile people. So they intermarried. And so the Jewish race was a mixed race. And the religion was a mixture of Judaism and other ideas. And so the Samaritans, they believed in the first five books of the Bible, but they rejected the prophets, they rejected the Psalms. And so a good Jew, he doesn't like Samaritans, despises Samaritans, hates Samaritans. That's important to understand because we're going to learn a lot about Jesus in this account. And the first idea, the first point is Jesus pursues the most unlikely people to become worshipers. Jesus pursues the most unlikely people to become worshipers. Many Bible scholars and commentators, they they speculate that the woman who was at the well, she was there in the sixth hour, which most likely was lunchtime. High noon, hottest part of the day. It's a time where if we were reliant on a well for our drinking, for cooking, all the things that you do with water, uh, we would go in the morning or the evening because it's the coolest part of the day. Many of the, the commentators speculate that she came at the high, hottest point of the day because she was ashamed. We're going to find out she was an immoral woman. She had a lot of baggage. And so in her shame, she would go when no one else was there. And Jesus being God in the flesh, he knows all of this. So he goes to a woman, which would have been surprising for a rabbi to approach a woman. He goes to a Samaritan woman, which no Jewish people would have associated with at all. And he goes to an immoral woman. He, he pursues her. And all of this is so that she becomes a worshiper of God. It shows Jesus' great love and affection for her and for all who struggle and who are outcasts. And that, that's good news for us. What that means for us is no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, there is hope for you in Jesus. And not just hope, there is great affection for you from Jesus. He loves you dearly. John 6.37, this is one of my favorite Bible verses. Jesus said this, this is his own words. Put your name in there. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You can cling to that promise. If you call on Jesus, if you come to Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus, He will never cast you out. He loves to pursue unlikely worshipers. That also means that we who know Jesus, those of us in the room who are Christians, It means we should should have the same heart that Jesus has. There shouldn't be anyone that we don't want to become a worshiper of God. That we don't want to become a Christian. That we don't want to see them come to know Jesus Christ. And there shouldn't be anyone in our minds that we think there's no way Jesus could save them. There's no way Jesus could help them. Now we're a pretty diverse 
group here, and I, I know there's a lot of opinions about a lot of subjects. So let's imagine politics. And, I, and I'm looking around the room, I know there's a range of political views probably wider than I'm even aware of. So wherever you land on the political spectrum, I want you to think of the one person that represents the opposing spectrum that, that you just hate, you despise. Now, you, you don't say hate because, uh, you know, you shouldn't say hate, but that's the feeling you get when you see them on the news or you hear them on the radio or you see a YouTube clip for them. That strong feeling is the feeling that Jewish people had towards Samaritans. Jesus is Jewish. He knows that. He's training 12 men to be the future of the church. He wants them to know we don't go by those rules. We're totally different. And as Christians, there shouldn't be anyone, whether it's in a political spectrum or a certain style of life, whatever it would be, there shouldn't be any that we think are beyond the reach of Jesus. And there shouldn't be any that we're not willing to go towards with the love of Jesus Christ. Because He loves, He loves to seek unlikely worshipers. Now point number two, this is the conversation's continuing. It just started. They're having an interaction. And the woman, the woman is, is understandably surprised. Look at verse 8. Or verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where did you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He has given us the well and drank from it itself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. The one you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. So that's a lot of information. But the big idea here is Jesus alone is the only satisfying object of worship. They, they begin to have a, a, an interaction. And... At first, the woman thinks that they're talking about physical water. And she's, she's confused. Why is this man who is a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, talking to me? Does he not know who I am? Does he not know that I'm a Samaritan? Does he not know that I'm immoral? Does he not know that I'm a woman? What, what is going on? And then Jesus asks her for a drink. 
And then he says something that only Jesus could say. No man could ever say this. No woman could ever say this. In verse 10, Jesus is going to switch the conversation from physical water to a spiritual conversation. He says, and if you don't believe me, you can't say this. Try saying this to somebody. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to me, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So imagine how that would go over as you're in school and, or you're in your college classes and, um, oh, what's your name? Well, if you knew the gift of God that I am, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't go so well. But Jesus can do that because Jesus is God. And he wasn't doing it in a proud, boastful way. He was doing it in such a way that he wants her to know that I alone can help you. I alone can quench your thirst. She's confused because she's saying, you, you don't have a bucket, you don't have a rope. How are you going to get water out of this well? That well, at, this, at the point of this account, was 2,000 years old. It was a strong well, it's still... Still going present day in the year 2016. But he knows that this woman's primary problem is not that she has to get water from the well every day. And the woman even says in the account, I, I, if that's true, if there's, there can actually be physical water that I drink one time and I never have to come back here again, I would love to have it. And the reason she said that is because I'm tired of being ashamed in front of all the people in this town. I'm tired of it. So if I could drink a glass of water and never have to come back, please give me that water. But Jesus isn't talking about water. We know that from verse 14. He says, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring welling up to eternal life. I want us to really think about this because this is what I've been thinking about really since last September. Is Jesus really as satisfying as he says he is? Is he really as satisfying as he says he is? That if we not drink physical water, but if we call on Him, if we trust in Him, if we spend time with Him regularly, is it really true that we'll never be thirsty again? Meaning that we'll never go to other things. We'll never believe the lie that this will satisfy more than Jesus. It is really true. Not just for that moment when you first come to Christ. It is to be entirely true for our Christian lives. That Jesus really is this thirst-quenching, satisfying, fully man, fully God who makes a way for us to know the Father. And if I could do one thing as a pastor, would be to convince you of that as Christians. That Jesus is the one who's going to satisfy you. That Jesus is the answer to your deepest longings. Jesus is the one. And 
we are so vulnerable. I think that's why the, one of the reasons the Bible calls us sheep. We, we just we get distracted. We see something else. Oh, maybe, maybe this will satisfy for a while. Maybe this job, if I just move here, if I just get this new thing, if I just switch churches, if I just go to a new Bible study, if, it can be good things. And, and many of them are really good things. If I just get married, if I just have children, if I just have grandchildren, it's so funny because it, it always, it's like this moving target of shifting if I just do this, if I just get this. Once my kids are no longer toddlers, I'll be satisfied. Once my teenagers are out of the house, I'll be satisfied. Once my 30-year-old daughter or son gets their life together, all will be well. It just goes on forever. I, I, I'm 39 years old, but... I love to watch commercials, and for some reason, our entire marriage, I've been getting stuff from the AARP. So I don't, I don't know what happened, but since the age of 22, I signed up for something, and I, and I get it. So, so I, I look at retirement stuff a lot. I'm not retiring. I'm not close to retiring, and I read about retirement stuff, and I watch these retirement financial planning commercials, and I think, what a trap, because they show a picture of always a very healthy, fit man or woman, retirement age. And, you know, they're just riding their bike into the sunset and the birds are chirping. And, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with you. You worked hard and you're able to retire from your, your, your job. That's wonderful. But don't believe the lie. Now, I always thought, what would it be like to have a retirement commercial that actually captured reality? So the guy's like barely getting out of bed because his body hurts so bad. Um, there's family crisis happening in the background. Uh, grown children are getting arrested. Um, just problems are happening all over the place. It, it, because we live in a broken world, paradise isn't going to be going to Disney World or retiring. And so I think as Christians, we, we're vulnerable, not always to the sinful stuff, but to the really pleasant, relaxing stuff. At least I'm vulnerable to that. And none of those things are inherently wrong. But don't believe the lie that your satisfaction is going to come when you get there. It's not going to come when you get there. Jesus is the only one who is going to satisfy you at every stage of your life, at every up and down, at every time you're physically healthy, and every time you're really sick, every time you're, you're very cheerful, and when you're in the throes of grief and mourning, Jesus alone can satisfy you. And go to Him. Never stop going to Jesus. I love this verse in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of of salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. That is to be our experience from the day we meet Christ to the day we go to be with Him. There is a well of joy in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And we're to experience that and find the joy and satisfaction in that. And, and Jesus alone, this woman is, is, is going to realize that He alone is the one that's going to satisfy her. She had five marriages. 
failed. And she's with a man who's not her husband. And, you know, that would have some stigma in our day. In her day, Maserell said she had 100 husbands, and the man she was with was not her husband. She would have felt this big. And Jesus is saying, I have life to give you if you just trust in me. It's, it's awesome news, and it's exactly why he came. Which is the next point. Jesus came to make true worshipers. So imagine if you met Jesus, and you're not a Christian, and he tells you one of the worst things you've ever done. That's kind of what this woman's experiencing right now. So what would you say next? I love what she says next. Verse 19. This is a great line. The woman said, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. (laughs) She's about to change the subject. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. So she just, he just said to her, you, got, you had five husbands, the guy you're with, not your husband. Oh, I think you're a prophet. Let's talk about worship, where the Jews worship and where the Samaritans worship. And Jesus being the patient, loving teacher that he is, he, he kind of follows along with her for a bit. And, and because this is one of the great divides between the Samaritans and Jews. Jews, Jerusalem, Samaritans, Mount Gerasene. Two different mountains, two different temples, two different places to worship. And verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. In other words, the Samaritans had some of the facts right and many of the facts wrong. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. The Jews were God's chosen people. Verse 23, But the hour is coming is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. So Jesus came to earth. You know, when we were little or you were in church or Sunday school class, you heard he came to die on the cross for our sins. And that is true. Another thing to say that would be also true is he came to make worshipers, to recruit worshipers from every tribe, tongue, and nation, from every walk of life. And the kind of worshipers God the Father sent him to get are those who worship in spirit and in truth. Meaning those who have the facts right, about who God is and how we know Him through Jesus Christ. And those who worship Him from their spirit, meaning their inner being. Meaning from the inside out. Meaning, Jesus wasn't trying to create a new religious system where you do this, you don't do this, you look this way, you dress this way, you go to this building. He he wanted nothing to do with that. He said, no, true worship is in spirit and in truth. In the chapter before this chapter, Jesus is talking to a religious leader named Nicodemus. He says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must have God's Spirit make you alive. And when God's Spirit makes you alive, then you can worship in spirit and in truth. God wants us to worship Him 
from the deepest parts of us, from our mind and our soul. God's Spirit makes that possible. But Jesus knows nothing about an external form of religion that has nothing to do with passion and faith and a desire to worship Him from the inside out. Listen to Jesus' own words. Matthew 15, 7-8. This is Jesus speaking. And He's speaking to religious leaders. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when He said, These people honor Me with their lips, but their hearts are far from Me. These people honor Me with their lips, but their hearts are far from Me. In other words, God's far more concerned with what's going on in the inside of us than what's going on in the outside of us. So we are a church that believes it's appropriate to express worship with raising hands and singing and clapping and, and many of the things that the Bible talks about. But we know from the Bible you can do all those things and not be worshiping the Lord at all. And you can do none of those things and be very passionately committed to knowing the Lord and serving the Lord. And so Jesus wants us to be worshipers who worship Him in spirit and in truth. And that comes as we go to Him for our satisfaction and our delight. Last point. Jesus calls us to be part of the harvest of worshipers. In, in other words, He doesn't just save us to worship Him. He saves us to go out and to get others to come in and to worship Him. And if Jesus is our primary delight and joy, then this idea of telling others about Him will not feel like it often feels for us. So, imagine a number of you, number of you may be going out to eat today to celebrate Mother's Day. And some of you are going to have very delicious meals. And those of you who eat the most delicious steak, and you're sitting at the table, you're eating that steak, no one has to tell you, why don't you tell the other person beside you how good that steak tastes? And then, then let's say to your mom, mom, I don't want to do that right now. Well, you wouldn't do that. If you, if you taste a steak that is perfectly made, say medium rare, just bloody and you like it, it tastes wonderful, and your next experience is, wow, this is the best steak I ever had. You should get this. You should try this. This is wonderful. Let's get another one. Let's celebrate Mother's Day every day. Well, it's because it comes out of a natural delight. It's not a chore to tell people about things we delight in at all. And so, if you want to grow in introducing people to Jesus, grow in enjoying Jesus. The more you enjoy Jesus, the more you're going to tell people about Jesus. And that's exactly what happened um, with this woman. Let me find my place here. At verse 27, the disciples, they come back in, they got food. Just then the disciples came back. This is verse 27. And they marveled that he was talking with a woman. So they're a little late to the game here. 
But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into a town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Her first evangelism opportunity. Met a man who told me all I ever did. Come see him. Verse 31, meanwhile the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat which you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has he, anyone brought him any food? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In other words, Jesus saying, serving the Lord, enjoying him, obeying him, that sustains me even more than physical food. But he's teaching the woman. He's also teaching the disciples. He says to the disciples, verse 35, and those of you who are farmers will like this and gardeners, do you not say there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for the harvest. In other words, very normal. It takes four months on average for something to grow. You get the soil ready, you plant it, comes up. Four months harvest. What Jesus is saying, since I came to earth, the harvest is happening right as we're planting seeds. So it would be like putting that little tomato seed in the garden, walking away for a minute, coming back, and there are luscious tomatoes on the vine. That's what Jesus came to do. He said, I, I want you to sow. I want you to tell people about my kingdom, about me. But I also want you to know, as soon as that happens, I'm going to be gathering people in in large numbers and that's exactly what's happening here. Verse 35. Do not say there are four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes, see the fields are white for the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds, one sows, one reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored. And you have entered into their labor. So some of you have been telling people about Jesus for years. Some of you are just starting to. And Jesus is saying, both in this context and for us, I desire to save a great multitude. Keep in mind, he just met a woman, an immoral woman. She's telling lots of people about her, about him. But the people that she's telling, they would have had an aversion to any Jewish person, particularly a rabbi. And she goes with great zeal, tells the Samaritans, I met a man named Jesus. He told me everything. Look what happens next. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Remember that? Those people that you despise, that if you saw them on the news, you wouldn't want much to do with them? That was the tension. One encounter with Jesus changed all of that. And these men and women from the town of Samaria through a woman who had struggled greatly, were willing to, to listen and learn and eventually put their trust in Jesus. So, verse 40, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. They, they so were affected by their encounter with Jesus. Jesus, can you just stay another day or two? And they did. And many more believed because of his word, and they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed 
the Savior of the world. That's our Jesus. That's the Jesus we love to sing about. That's the Jesus we love to preach about. That's the, the Jesus that we want all of you to spend time with. And so He is recruiting and calling for true worshipers. And if you're a true worshiper of Jesus, the best thing you can do to bring glory to Him is enjoy Him and tell others about Him. Let's pray and the band can come up. Father, thank You that You didn't leave us to ourselves and to our wanderings and our pursuing of things that would never satisfy, but You absolutely invaded this world and our lives. And Lord, I pray for each of us that we would all have more delight and joy, satisfaction in You in the coming weeks and months than we had in the past weeks and months. And Lord, we pray it would spill over to telling lots and lots of people about You. And we pray that You would be glorified, Father. And we ask this in Your name. Amen.